Hi, I'm Hedgeye's founder, Keith McCullough. Thanks for listening to this real conversation. If you like what you hear, you will love our investing research. We bring transparency, accountability, and actionable investing ideas to investors big and small. I'll put our investing process and team up against anyone in the world. Please visit Hedgeye.com to subscribe and learn a better way to invest. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and welcome back to another Real Conversation. This time, you have to put up with two Canadians. One is in Italy and one is in America. Jeff Booth, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Can we hear him all right? Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me, Keith. Yeah, good. Awesome. Uh, so Jeff and I were talking quickly before. He's from Reg he, or he was born in Regina, Saskatchewan. I'm born in Thunder Bay, Ontario. And now we're going to talk inflation, deflation, you know, just, just the type of discussions people have been having uh, all along from Regina to Thunder Bay. Right, Jeff? That's right. That's right. It's pretty normal over there. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a very uh, timely and topical discussion to be having here. Uh, I've been long cyclical inflation for like a year and a half now. Uh, and you do address a lot of these cyclical inflations uh, in your book, but I wanted to take you know my intermediate term view, which is going to end by the way in in, in deflation. Uh, so that's fine, and even if we didn't agree, that's fine too. Uh, but I wanted to take the longer term outlook where you start your book with the most secular of deflation. I think was your point, which is technology, and just set the table with that first. Sure. Um, the book outlines how how disruptive technology is in our lives, or or how deflationary it is in our lives. Essentially, you get more for less when you use technology. Every CEO uses technology to give you more for less. You celebrate the companies that are giving you more for less by making them monopolies today. And the nature of all technology is it it drives down prices. Um, and these two great forces in our lives, one technology, which is the nat a natural force for technology innovation, entrepreneurs creating value for you in society should bring prices down. But that's up against a force of central banking that can't let that happen um, because we live in a credit-based system and that credit-based system would collapse if it, allowed, if it allowed pricing to come down. So you have central banking fighting um, fighting technology. And the outcome of that fight is what you see virtually every other us versus them narrative in the world. Um, the, the, all of the, uh, the, the, the uh, political divide, people divide, all of that springs from wealth inequality. It all springs from this fight, technology against central banking or an inflationary monetary policy. Then in the end, central, the technology is going to win no matter what. So let's take that like a, a step further to where we are today, actually. And for those of you that haven't read The Price of Tomorrow, you absolutely should. Uh, and we'll just jump into you know where you called it reactionary economics. So all over the world, rent, just reading out your book, all over the world, rent, housing, food, uh, fuel, et cetera, many of these costs are rising, and you're on the, on the hamster wheel. Um, and you say it's almost impossible. And for a lot of people, you know, that's basically their grind today or their ax. Uh, that they're grinding, which is, are you kidding me? There's like absolutely th everything around me is inflating. Can you put that in context, you know, with what you just said, which is central banking, you know, has done what it's done and, and why this book is, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, this book is a longer term book that says this is how it, it can or should or could end as opposed to what's actually happening right now with U.S. rents in particular at all time highs. 
Yeah, so we're in a phase, trans phase transition as society, and that's a big deal. Humans don't go through this type of change uh, very often, um, and its technology is moving faster and faster and faster, exponential. And central banks, what we used to see is central banks tried to target 2% inflation. And 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 2%, if you think about what inflation is, um, we believe that uh, productive requires uh, productive society requires inflation to, uh, to be a productive society. That's not true. It's just because we believe that's true. So inflation is really a theft that, and that theft steals from the middle class and poor and transfers to the rich. Um, so if you own more assets out of that theft, inflation pushes those prices higher. Housing is a perfect example, but along with those prices going higher, rents go higher. Mm -hmm. So one person, one one set of the population, a small group of people with all of the assets, um, gets enriched by that uh, inflation, essentially moving into more and more control of government through that same same uh, same uh, process, and through the other process, it, uh, the uh, another group of society is is destroyed get their pocket picked uh, from that inflation as their rents go up. Essentially, inflation is wage deflation, is the opposite side of that coin. So wage and savings deflation. And so you have a majority of the population losing out to those gains. Um, and then that majority of the population rises up against the people in power and votes for a more centralized government, typically, to solve the problem that government started in the first place with an inflationary monetary policy. It, it, and it, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so, so what what's hard to what's hard to see in everything I just said is it's a system change, and we measure a system from a system, and we all do. We measure our houses from that system. We measure GDP from that system, and we're going through a different system. And that different system, technology. When I say gives you more for less, um, the look at it, how many look how many more photos you take today versus how many photos you took before, and look at the size of the industry versus what it, what it looked like before. It's an example, but that base layer of everything moving to technology is moving into everything. So you can print money against it, and when you print money against it, you create misallocations of capital um, everywhere as people race to try to save, try to put their money into things that won't get destroyed by the printing. And that's what you see in society today. And it's um, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting book to have written at this point in time. Like if you think about it generationally, I don't know if you're familiar with the fourth turning that one of my colleagues Neil Howe wrote, which is really just a it's a, a generational turning of, of 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 these longer term tectonic shifts that you can't really see, but they do end in you know the rising of the people or the next generation trying to replace all that the older generation fucked up basically. Um, and so we're at that point where yeah, I did it myself the other day on the macro show. I, you know, I can't. You, I don't think people can help themselves at some point. And I grew up like, like I said at the outset in Thunder Bay, Ontario. My dad was a firefighter. I mean, you know, the the roof over our head, the the food on the table, and the gas in in the car. I mean, those are the things that really did determine what kind of incremental discretionary income that you have. And those things are ripping to the upside cyclically, and then they. You know, not magically, but they have a central tendency to deflate in a hurry as well. You know, how 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 do you think about the current environment that we're in, both from a longer-term demographic perspective, the people are pissed, 
uh, to an ever-growing people that will get pissed if we continue to do this, uh, into, I don't know, do you see it as a crescendo? Neil Howe thinks of the fourth turning somewhat like that, with not specific timing to the day, obviously. So if you look at these debt cycles, and Neil Howe talks, talks about it as well, if you think about what it looked like, take Rome, for instance, when when inflation, you'd essentially clip coins to drive inflation. And inflation that would give more tax revenue at the cost of the people. So you would give, and so you'd try to pay yourself, you'd, you'd, you'd charge a hidden tax on society and expanding government. But the, the resets of those currencies took a lot longer. And then lately, the, those, the resets of the currencies, those t- it takes about 80 years. I would argue this one would have been a lot faster if we, if U.S., hadn't kind of found a parlor trick by moving from gold to oil and pricing uh, pricing and oil. So that extended this turning, so to speak, um, for another cycle. Well, that's running out. And what's happening today is these are these these what, you know, what the fourth turning would say is these cycles and then these debt bubbles and they would happen they would they, they would move through every look call it 80 years. Because of technology, that's moving faster and faster and faster because technology is moving exponential. So as you know from my book, the last 20 years required $185 trillion of stimulus <laughs> to grow the, uh, grow the global economy by $46 trillion. So we had prior to the 20 years, so we had $250 trillion of debt globally to run an $80 trillion global economy at the end of 2019. Um, and 185 trillion of that debt came over the last 20 years. And predictably, then you'd say, okay, well, my house always goes up in value, measuring a system from the system. Mm-hmm. Without asking, would my house always go up in value without 185 trillion dollars of stimulus over the last 20 years? <laughs> or, or keep that, keep going. Or how much more stimulus is going to require to move my house uh, going up? And then if that's all it is, if it's a manipulation of money, that is making prices go up, who gets to decide who manipulates my time and who should we put in control of the time manipulation that's being imposed on society? And that what you have when you start to uncover that is you realize, wow, this system is going to collapse in, in one of two ways. Through the traditional way it collapses, revolution, war, um, and, and reset, and then promise we won't do it again, and then you start building like that, that credit market again, or concentrate all power in the hands of very few people who have domain over all other humans. Mm-hmm. Because if you play the path forward of technology, and, and when I said that the it, it's predictable, if you understand how much debt is required, you have one, say, imagine um, system moving down, trying to give more for less, and you have one system competing against it, trying to move up, trying to give less for more. And so that that inflationary system is it creates more and more in, uh, instability in the system. And could you control it through artificial intelligence um, and and passing all power into hands of very few people potentially? But that would be, be a world I wouldn't want to live in. 
Yeah, in the um, in the current world that we live in, and this is something that I, I think, uh, and again, I don't want to paint you as a, a secular deflationista or anything like that, or an inflationista for that matter. I mean, we have a real world uh, inflation problem that is going to and has catastrophically deflated at the amount of time that the most people are actually exposed to. We're, let's get into that a um, little later, because obviously everyone is buying everything right now. And that is going to leave a lot more people holding the bag on the asset price deflation side of this. But what you also did a very good job with in this book, and you've done, you took, I mean, you you, you, you did it the way that I like it, which is which doesn't make it, you know, 100% the right way, but it's much more of a, a fractal or, or a polymath approach to this, where you're, you're taking a lot of different uh, people's perspectives as well. The one, you know, that was excellent was Dalio's when you think about the, the four different ways that we could keep this going and with the current one, money printing and taxing being the two that can really piss people off, whereas the austerity and or, like you said, like war and default are the other two options. Can you talk about that, those four options right, um, you know, explicitly first and then we'll get into the rest of it? Yeah, and, and, and this is, so let's go through some of those first. So, so when you take so much uh, from essentially Robin Hood in reverse, you're taking from the poor and middle class to give to the rich, mm -hmm. then the middle class and poor, there's more of them than the rich, and they rise up, and that's, it takes you to revolution and war. And what typically happens on that cycle is new people get elected, by promising to overthrow and tax the rich or change, change that, that structure and creates a political divide. Essentially, you, in your own country, you create us versus them. Who's the enemy? The rich become the enemy. Who, um, who's the populist leaders? It's the people who attack a system from, uh, from that. Once it reaches that, because there is no fix through the system, you cannot tax enough to be able to uh, change this. So money printing has to accelerate. Money printing accelerates makes the problem worse. So, so what you have to do is once you control your population, you have to create a bigger enemy outside of your borders. Mm -hmm. And that's so you can see this happening throughout uh, history. And, and if you look at the signposts all around the world, they're already spelling that path. That's what the, uh, that, that looks like. Um, tax the rich. Um, tax the tax more. If you taxed, and I did the numbers, uh, I think this was last year, if you, or the year before, if you taxed 100% of all corporations in, in, uh, in, in the US, every dollar they ever made, uh, made in a year, um, then you couldn't pay the amount of deficit in one year, let alone start to pay back some of the, some of the debt. So taxes can't solve it. There is no way to solve it through taxes. Um, through an inflationary monetary policy. That influence, so that's that third. And, and if you could get people to stay within your monetary boundaries, you could keep on tax. If, so if you could impose financial repression, and in, in the US did this by, by taking people to, at first, kind of taking the gold in a different, in the 30s and saying, we're gonna reprice that. If you could impose people, they're locked into your system and they didn't have a way out, you could run financial repression and run inflation um, and then pay back the debt in cheap, essentially cheaper dollars. But we live in a different world than the US was in uh, 1930, very different world. So that's no longer, I don't think, a path, but that, that, that doing that imposes huge hardship on your population because it is um, repricing everything in a different way. Um, did I get through them all? 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to stay like these aren't like bowling pins where you just knock one down and on a linear basis the next one. I mean, it's, that's the whole point. Is that the interconnectedness and the nonlinearity of it all can, can can quite blow the mind. I mean, you go through this with some explicit examples unfolding pieces of paper. Um, how many times until you end up with a quite exponential situation that you wouldn't have ordinarily thought as a human being? So we're at the point. I I do think. Um, and maybe some thoughts on this. I mean, I, I, we have models, uh, predictive tracking algos that are Bayesian or stochastic in nature, so they're constantly refreshing. I don't have an opinion on what that data has, has to do, should do, could do, would do. It's, it's what the data is doing. If that data peaks, which it should, even on the corporate profitability point, which we're, we're seeing um, the cycle peak right now, and we get into a legitimate U.S. economic slowdown next year, there is little to no... Um, possibility, at least in terms of the current structure of the central bank and its alignment with the Treasury, that they're not going to go for that final finishing move on asset price inflation to counter the slowdown. I mean, to me, MMT being the big the big grand event to me is in my head is this big, after you get all this this inflation, the mother of all deflations, that, that's their only solution for this. Yeah, Keith, that's exactly right. So, so let's just go back to first principles. Is technology deflationary? Yes, right? Uh, obviously, so look at your phone. Look at all the free stuff on your phone. Is technology moving exponential? Yes. If those things are true, then the only way that the world kind of transitions from one system to another is you have to have a, have a, a currency, that a, a digitally native currency that allows for deflation. Every single other path is concentrating power and uh, into hands of few as a, as a result of fighting that. And so, so when, you, when people talk about inflation deflation right now, just realize this, it's pretty simple. We live in a macro deflationary world. The free market is deflationary on a staggering basis. That's the free market. So when you're talking about inflation, inflation, you're talking about manipulation. You're talking about theft of time. You're talking about a theft built into the monetary layer that must happen to offset. Because if you allow deflation in a, in a, in, in a credit-based system, that credit-based system collapses to the ground. Mm-hmm. Every central bank, every government, every hospital, there's, it, 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 there would be anarchy. It would be, there wouldn't be food on the shelves. It would, it would fail spectacularly because there is no money in the bank. It's a credit-based system. And if you, have, if you allow deflation in a credit-based system, it keeps on unwinding. And so what governments are scared to death and they're trapped uh, here is all governments are trapped. They're trying to outrun this, but they're making it they're making it harder and harder on society by out, trying to outrun it because the system actually can't solve it. So what you, what you just said, will they come in with uh, will they come in with more stimulus? A hundred percent. There is interest rates are going down and then they're going down again and then there's going to be more easing and then there's going to be MMT. Because if you allow deflation in this environment, both the whole system collapse globally. So that that it, it's a it's a dilemma. There is a massive dilemma. Number one, technology where we're moving. Essentially, remember, technology frees your time. Mm-hmm. So so technology where we're moving requires a digitally native currency that allows for deflation. And two, and at the same time. Our existing system cannot allow that to happen. So, so you have a, you have you you have 
two systems counteracting each other. And, and, and most of the talking heads on TV and everything else are talking about inflation and everything else. And they're just measuring a system that has to keep going and it has to keep, uh, so no question, there will be inflation because there can't be deflation. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then ironically, which I want to get in you because you've already gone there partly, you know, to, to Bitcoin, the platforms, you have, right now, Bitcoin is trading as a, an epic uh, hedge against inflation. I mean, in the last three months alone, Bitcoin's up 50% against the U.S. dollar, for example. So that's a pretty good way to, you know, to preserve and protect your purchasing power. If that's what, if that's the, if, if you call it a currency, you know, I call it a commodity or an asset, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the market is actually pro-cyclically trading crypto alongside risk assets. And the history of Bitcoin, not everybody loves it when I say this, but if I backtest it against my four economic quads, or you know, I think Dahlia would have a different definition in his all-weather model, but in deflation, crypto has not done well. I mean, in what I call quad four. I mean, those have been some epic declines of Bitcoin in particular. Uh, what do you think about all that, whether you agree or disagree? Yeah, I, and, and, I, and I'm not sure, so I don't know your quad uh, model, but, uh, but I'm, I'm going to try to sim simplify it. I think Bitcoin, short of the immediate time, is not a trade against inflation or deflation. It's, it is, but it's actually a system change. Mm -hmm. So if you measure things in Bitcoin, prices will go down forever. So we measure everything in our U.S. currency. And we measure everything. In, but but if you measure things, when I said a, a technology, a, 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 a currency that allows for deflation, a digitally native currency that allows for deflation, you will see all prices against Bitcoin will go down. And when I say forever, there's going to be, there's going to be move, uh, movement, to, uh, short term movement in that. But, uh, but in a long trend will go down forever because that's actually what it's showing you. And so we're measuring from a system that requires prices to go up. That system will make prices go up. But if you measured from a different system, you would see what's, what's happening. Yep. So when a credit, when, when you're saying, I think you, what you said in quad four and deflation, that Bitcoin wouldn't uh, wouldn't do well. I wouldn't. I don't agree with that. At least I do agree with it in the short term. But in the long term, it's very. It's a way different picture. In the short term, what why it would go down is in a credit crisis, everything goes down. In a credit crisis, so so if people thought, thought if if U.S. didn't stimulate back in March, the entire system would have collapsed to the ground. Mm -hmm. That's and, and globally, and so when people are worried about that, they race to they race to dollars. They try to they pull, try to pull out money out of the bank. They try to put it under. They wonder how they're going to pay their food tomorrow, and so everything goes down in that. And, and people sell good assets in that as well. You can see what happened right after that in Bitcoin and, and the rise it's had since I think it was five thousand US at that time, and would um, and now we're sixty five thousand. Um, so. So, but, but the bigger thing is this, we live in a system that requires inflation and that inflation and that, and that system is incompatible where we're going on a, on a phase transition. Um, when a business hits that type of thing, their business won't work long-term. The best businesses isolate a business outside of that business and, and and, and run their existing business. And when I say isolate, nobody knows about the new business. Mm -hmm. It's put in almost a secret lab. And here's a really good example for that. Um, at the iPhone with Apple, if 
If they, if they ran that out of their existing business, it wouldn't look like it does today. They have to isolate it. Will they, will they move to the, so one business keeps running, new business, a, a, a transition, they call it a network transition, takes over and becomes the new business over time. So today, think about it, your existing system that you live in, everything priced in, in, in dollars and your house price and rent price and everything is, you're, you're measuring everything in that and it will fail for sure. And Bitcoin today, if you said, like, you know, Salvador, you can buy your groceries and it's moving on a network effect and everything else and it's growing really fast, but is it ready to supplant one system yet? The answer is no. But what happens in technology, same thing, there's lots of examples in the book. What happens in technology is people misunderstand how fast technology is moving on a, on, on a network effect. And they, and they predict the present rather than the future. And so they, they, they take where Bitcoin is today and they measure, it can't do everything I want to. to and, and, with, and, and they miss how fast people are moving to it. And so what what you have, and it's same same thing. Remember when Paul Krugman said the internet uh, will be the same it's the same effect to an economy as a fax machine. <laughs> but that's what he was doing. By the way, and I, I say this, it's normal. Yeah. It's normal because we all think everybody else misunderstands this, but it's it's normal. People can't understand how fast technology is moving. Remember with BlackBerry, BlackBerry. I bet you you had a BlackBerry. I had a BlackBerry. Did you see Apple coming? And what happened when Apple came? You probably said, oh, no, I want buttons on my phone. Right? It's normal. Everybody does it. And so they miss how fast. So, so where we are on, on Bitcoin is 1998, the same rate of growth as the Internet. Think of what happened after 1998 on the Internet. Google wasn't launched until 2000, Facebook not until 2008. Most of the value to come in Bitcoin is, is still to come. And most of the tech, most of the deflation driven by technology is still to come. So you have, again, you have two systems, one that's going to unwind no matter what, and, a, and an escape valve from that system that is growing, getting stronger and stronger and stronger and more innovation on top of it with every single essentially node human being that's, that's moving to it. It's getting stronger and stronger. What, and, and, at a time, hopefully, my hope is you can transition from one system to another peacefully rather than the way that it typically happens through history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, um, like I, I often say, hope is, is not always a risk management process. But, um, you know, I hope. I mean, I, I wake up every day two feet on the floor, God willing, hoping that, you know, everything goes well for my family, my firm, my friends, anyone. I mean, it's just, but you're, you're in this. It's almost like that war has already, not almost. I mean, if I say anything negative about Bitcoin, from a, even from a risk management perspective, because maxis and hornets don't quite want to talk about that, um, it's, it's, it gets pretty ugly pretty quickly. And, and, and I think that there's a lot of societal messaging in that and a lot of anger and a lot of, you know, a lot, a, a lot of feelings, really. And that's, and I, I can't, I don't know if this is going to end smoothly, but when you talk about um, maybe the most epic phase transition of all time from a monetary and currency perspective to to the next platform. I, I, I actually do have a hard time believing that this doesn't end in a, in a very ugly way and maybe very quickly uh, before it can start start itself up the new way. I, I don't know, like like I know. So, so, so Keith, if you want the kind of 
in inside the maxis framework kind of what what drives them crazy i can i'm going to speak to myself for myself i don't get tied up in all of this myself and what why because i want more people on a technology that could save them yep. that's that's what for me for me it doesn't matter like i i'm i'm wealthy from the existing system and i get wealthier all the time from the existing system i own technology companies too um, it doesn't matter if bitcoin uh, goes down i don't believe it will and i and i've looked at every single possibility out of the existing system and it keeps coming back to only bitcoin yeah so now now imagine you're me or you're and and you've done this work and you've done it everywhere you see it and you see it and you see people talking about it and in trying to trying to essentially defend the status quo of a system that they know it, it, it's it's essentially built on a fraud you could get rather annoyed over time now i don't let it for me it doesn't grab me but <laughs> but that that's i think what you're seeing when yeah. you uh, when, when when people and and what they're trying to do is if and sometimes not not very effectively um they're trying to to make sure people are aware of the truth mm-hmm. yeah, now, and again and again on that on that point it deserves i i i actually think on on that point people should hold it if it's that important if it's that if the people should fight for it people should tell okay so and and i the one thing i love about a bunch of people in bitcoin is if something's if there's something that needs to happen to make this stronger they'll make it stronger they'll they'll be their own worst enemy if <laughs> um so but i get i get it it's a, it, it can be harsh too Yeah, what I, 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 that's life. I mean, it's harsh, you know, particularly when you're going through, even if it's a cyber war or a tweet war, whatever it is currently on the front lines of it, that, that's totally fine with me. I mean, I, I'm fine being, being part of that debate or at least hosting part of it here today, uh, with you. But, you know, really, you have a lot of opportunity here with Bitcoin that I agree with, you know, longer term that solves for these inequality gaps created by the Federal Reserve, just to name the most obvious. The Federal Reserve has never once you know, acknowledged or admitted being the guiltiest of the guilty on driving that wedge. I mean, you have you have, you have a littering, uh, a spewing of commentary by the head of the Federal Reserve that often, and or, or the head of the economic advisor, you know, or whatever, whatever, whatever council it is, Republican or Democrat, they're just lying to people all the time, or at least people feel like they are. If they're me and, I, and I'm tabulating, like in dollars, to be clear, uh, or in Bitcoin, I do both, You know, if I'm, you, you can see day to day that your government and those who want to maintain that position of power and the elitism that is born out of it, you know, that, that is driving a lot of anger. And, and, and that's something that's like, I, I'm, I can go long inflation, but still be on that camp longer term because that's where I came from. I'm not, I'm certainly not an elitist. Um, is, is, is that the underlying and the fourth turning of it all that, that the, the mood that has that, that it'd be really hard to believe that that's going to go away. So that's actually, and, and so Bitcoin is truth. And I, I, and, and that's, that's for a lot of your listeners, that's going to be hard for them to digest. I'm going to sound like a crazy, crazy person, but, but <laughs> if they went, but if they went down that path, what they'll see is what you said. If, if you have misinformation in, in money. Yeah. And money is just a trade of our time. So, so remember the free market driven by technology is deflationary. And, and we have inflation because people are allowed to press a button and destroy 40 years of somebody's labor by pressing a button. That's why we have inflation. 
And there's a whole bunch of people that are questioning at what rate of inflation is the right rate of theft? Right. 2% over. So when you have theft and that that number has to get bigger and bigger because technology is moving the other way. So so you have have a fraud based into the monetary layer um, or, or misinformation based into the monetary layer that has to get bigger and bigger. So when you have misinformation and money, and money is just a trade of our time, you and that money and that misinformation has to grow at a greater rate. And then you have misinformation everywhere. And and so what you're finding, what you what you just said is people are starting to get mad. They're starting to wake up and they're starting to realize, wait, we everything I just said is true. And what the worst thing is, everything I just said has to get worse because money printing has to has to keep going and get a lot yep. uh, get a lot bigger. So you're going to have more misinformation. And what you're finding is people are escaping that, and they're starting to see the truth of what Bitcoin is. Not the not all the noise and the market and everything else. They're starting to see the signal through the noise, and that's what's that, that's what's happening. And it's it's harsh because it, and it's harsh for everybody because you're you're caught up in a system. You're measuring a system from the system. And so it's really hard to see that signal from from the from the new system, but that's what's happening. Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm my if I have to go with one truth, it's the last price. And and even if the last price is based on a lie, that's still the truth. I mean, you don't have to, you know, the the central banking premise. If it if you believe that to be a lie, the fact of the matter is that it's it's truthful to call it a lie. I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways that you can. You can spin it and turn it, but the fact of the matter is that the marketplace has, I think today, as of today, it's got to be at least three trillion uh, in market value for Bitcoin. That's to me, that's that's truth. And as much as the the last price of cotton per pound is truth, I mean, I don't. It might be truth based on a government lie in dollars, but the fact of the matter is, it's still. If I go and want to sell X amount of cotton today, I'm going to get that price and that truthful amount is in my account until I decide to hold on to it too long and have it eviscerated by a deflationary force. So there's going to be, yeah, I think there's a lot of, I think what happens in this, in, in this, in this topic, inflation versus deflation, uh, central government, central planning bad versus good, Bitcoin truth versus non-truth. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, you got to deal with it all at the same time. It's not going to be what you, what you want it to be right in the moment of every single day. Yeah. And, and so, so right there, you're looking at a monetary gain from it. And, and which is what your, your show is about, what you're, what you're doing. I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at a system change and what is required yep. for humanity to get from one system to another. Now, the beautiful part about that is when you're early on a network effect that's part of the system change, how many people believed uh, Amazon would uh, do what it did to the retail sector? How many people held on to Amazon from $5? Um, up to the price today. Right. When you're early, when you're early, and Amazon was very volatile in that. When you're early in a system change from one system to another, you expect the volatility. It's what it looks like. You're, if you're right on the system change, it changes everything. Now play that forward. What would Amazon do, or what would Google do? What would any of these companies do, if 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 consumers us demand more for less? And a system is moving the other way. And you have the ability to give them more for less by embedding more and more technology and more and more AI and reducing jobs as a result. You would do exactly that. So what you're what you're saying is our own incentives 
to try to get more for less are the free market. You have technology companies that are doing giving you that. And, and we have perverse incentives driving the exact opposite way that are, is concentrating all wealth and power. Now, when you said central bank independence, uh, it, central bank loses independence because populations rise up. The government takes over the central bank and says, I'm going to go after those. And you have regulatory capture from the people in power to say, I'm going to try to redistribute it. You have more and more regulatory capture all the time that essentially destroys the free market. So that's where we are on this cycle. I wish we weren't, but that's where we are in the cycle. And Bitcoin actually changes that. It changes that. It, it, first, first, if if anybody's listening to your show and still on zero, get off zero. Um, take take a look deeper. Don't don't listen to me here. Uh, do your own research and understand why you might want to be off zero. After that, it understand that it could be. Um, I haven't seen anything else, and I've looked everywhere. Um, I, that could could be a system change, allow one system to move to another system. That's where I think we're going. Mm. There's a there's a lot um, to this. Uh, chapter eight. Before we get to, and we'll take other people's questions because they'll be better than mine. Um, in a, in a second, and they get voted up, they get voted down. Uh, so <laughs> that'll be fun. Um, but chapter chapter eight that you wrote, which is great, is called uh, "Us Us Versus Them," and. You know what I really appreciated about the book that it was—it certainly wasn't dogmatic. It was—it it was almost like we're going here, and and you you ended the book by saying like I I don't know. I mean it's and and not everyone has that humility. And first of all, not everybody has the bravery to try to write a book like this and then end it with with an answer like that. But on the us versus them part, we've been talking you know through it and around it throughout this conversation. But you know how maybe just define what that what that means to you and where do you th- where do you think we are on that that longer term cycle people don't turn against each other when they have, um, when they're content when there aren't the, these these problems in the money they don't turn against each other they turn against each other when they're when when somebody is sitting and is I use that monopoly. I've used that monopoly board example uh, quite often, but it's but it's uh, it's good for this. Imagine you collected all the, the through monopoly through luck. You landed on the right squares, and and consider that luck. We were born in the right place, right time, right the right place. We landed on all the right squares, and we have all the houses and stocks and everything else. Systems systems reinforce on themselves. So one person gets stronger, gets better and better on the system, while one person gets uh, worse and worse, and eventually the game's over as the person wins the entire game. So what it looks for like for me on that game board is I have a bunch of assets and everything else, and they go up. And what it looks like for a whole bunch of other people is they don't, um, and they go the other way. They can't get the kids in the right school. They can't get, and, and so you have poverty that, that feeds back on itself. And that's rising up in more and more of the population. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in a monopoly game, the, either the game's flipped over, game ends, and you reset and everybody has a new chance. What if that game could never end? <laughs> yeah, it's an empty what if that could, not, not just couldn't, not just couldn't end. We're going to keep those people that own the assets, even when they make a mistake, we're going to yeah. let them keep keep them, and we're going to reprice everything so all of the people on the look get get it worse. 
and we're going to keep doing that. Oh, just wait. And then, then they only get $200 passing the door and they get around the board, but they can't get around the board now. Let's give them a little bit more money so they can get around the board. That's MMT. That's what it looks like. Exactly. That's where, that is where we're going all based because of fraud in the system and it has really predictable consequences in society. And, and what, what I worry about most in this is, um, is, I, I hate saying this, but when people talk about Hitler um, and, and stuff, I don't even think about Hitler. I think about all of the other people that were co-opted into a system and, and, and said, and didn't stand up to that system. And how many people would stand up thinking, um, so could, could do that to other people? And are we any different? And, and so our minds change really quickly when when the world doesn't look right and so we we can get co-opted into terrible terrible things and very few people will stand up to that type of power um and so you have a system that has to keep concentrating more and more power and and has to as a byproduct because people will revolt against that over time has to elect those dictators who will turn society on themselves and people who believe that because they want to believe in something. They want to believe it's somebody else's fault. And it's not somebody else's fault. The entire system, the entire system is based on a lie. That's the, that's the problem. And we are yet, we are, we won't question that and we'll turn on each other because of that lie. That's a, it's a great metaphor, the Monopoly one. I, all the McCullough kids uh, learn how to play speed Monopoly and yes, you will default and go bankrupt. You know, so the, you know, the, the rules, and, and I think what's happened to a lot of hedge fund managers in particular that have, you know, thought of, of, of the lie and how this has to end in tears, they've really, you know, lacked respect for how long the game can continue to go on and on and on. But that doesn't mean that it, it, it can't end abruptly at certain uh, parts of what I'll call cycle time. That's for, uh, I'm sure, a, a different discussion. But first question here, uh, highest voted question uh, from Dave in California, Jeff. Um, Jeff, how do you think the current regime will fight against Bitcoin as it supplants their vice grip on fiscal and monetary policy. So you saw that now, I think China's now banned it five times. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so it's impossible to ban uh, Bitcoin. Everywhere Bitcoin's been tried to be banned. And that's the, you have an open decentralized monetary network that is uh, that every time a government tries to ban it, it gets stronger. Uh, there's more users, more more people in that region that uh, join it. And why? Pretty logical, because the government trying to ban it is screaming, "You need this really badly." Because we're, what we're going to do to your currency? Um, look out! That's what they're that's what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Now think about what China is, and, and is China based on the free market and the totalitarianism that that would look like over time? Um, that is where things go without Bitcoin. They go like that all over the world. Now, when I think about where the U.S. is and the gift that China gave to the U.S., kind of there's all the, a bunch of the mining moved to the U.S. as a result of that. But but the U.S. was founded on principles of sound money, and uh, for the uh, we the people for the people we by the people, um, and. And so, and, and in the Constitution, states all have each individual state has its own power. And so, what ends up happening is you're you're having game theory playing out at states right now. Texas is doing, running Bitcoin mining. You have uh, you have uh, uh, Florida 
jumping into Bitcoin. You have New York jumping into Bitcoin. You have a whole bunch of states competing now to try to drive into Bitcoin faster. And so you have, we give a system too much credit and we think the, the, this all powerful entity when it's only a system reinforcing itself. What ends up happening is when you have a technology that empowers a whole bunch of people, new people get elected through, through that system change. Um, here is a good example from uh, just in thinking in te technology. First, I've never, I don't know a historical uh, precedent for a technology that massively lowers costs is, is uh, that, that has been stopped by government, that massively lowers costs and that gets put in the hands of people and stopped by government. Because if one government stops it, somebody else takes it. Um, and so where you, where you have Bitcoin is that it's, you're, ma you're massively lowering costs on a network effect and, and it's beginning stronger and stronger and stronger. And a lot of, when we think about people in power, new people in power are emerging that are on Bitcoin. And, and you can see it in a whole bunch of the representatives, representatives. I would suspect Bitcoin is going, going to be in a, a huge election issue. And if you're not on Bitcoin pretty soon, not for Bitcoin producing, you won't, you won't get elected. It's interesting. Um, in New York City, which is close to us, obviously, here, I mean, new mayor, first thing he says this morning in an interview, I want crypto to be taught in New York City schools. You know, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it continues to roll on. Um, and it's fascinating. Keith, can I just add, can I add to that? U.S. is founded on individual rights and freedoms, mm -hmm. different than China. And Bitcoin restores individual rights and freedoms. Yeah. So, so it, it, it's it's more likely that the U.S. gets on board, and that's a, that's probably it. so. Typically, what's happened in technology companies is the monopoly power um, uh, gains control by blocking access, and then technology reduces or gives tons of value, and the monopoly power blocks that. And but that value is delivered directly to citizens and you have a new uh, new system take over. So in other words, the first people that put the, put the products on Amazon shelves weren't the ones on Walmart shelves. They were the people that were blocked from Walmart shelves. And what happens is because there's way more people that wanted access that were blocked by access, by, by control, and now you have a technology that opens up that, that, that door, you create a new opportunity for all of those people. That's what Bitcoin is. So if the US ended up trying to block it, Think of what's happening in all of the countries that don't have access to a sound financial system. And so it gets taken up everywhere else. And so I would say it's critical that U.S. gets on board. Well, the U.S. is definitely on. People are making a lot of money being along this and or related crypto, by the way. We have a lot of questions on that. Um, and for the record, like I'm along Bitcoin, I'm along ETH, I'm along. We're, we're, we bought a company that's part of a like a, of a it's like a NFL league that's based on NFTs and tokens. It's kind of like, and the more you engage with it, the more first of all, the more money you make, so the more you'll believe in it. <laughs> uh, but 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 also, you know, you get more of these differentiation questions. So a lot of the questions here, whether it's from Nick or Srini from Virginia, they're asking questions on like why not ETH, uh, why not other things. So, um, so, so number one for me, for me, Bitcoin, it's the bigger, the bigger arc yep. narrative. Um, technology requires a, a technology where we're moving globally. Mm -hmm. This in this phase transition requires a digitally native currency that allows for deflection. Period. 
the only one that will not be uh, that won't be centralized is Bitcoin. So that's the reason I uh, that this primary reason I'm only in Bitcoin. And but what I suspect, even from an investment thesis, now in the short term, people can do really well. But the Bitcoin through proof of work solved uh, uh, solved security and to, to have a decentralized network um, and sacrifice speed on layer one. And that's why it's become this store of value, critical store of value. Because they sacrificed speed, there was an opening in the in, in a window to do so, to do something different. Um, and Ethereum at first started to be a global computer um, to do something different, blockchain for for everything. And and then on top of that, you couldn't create an NFT on Bitcoin because of transaction speed and everything else. It wasn't designed for that. And on top, so you had then NFTs created an ecosystem on Ethereum. Now, what's happened now with Layer Two and what's happening on Bitcoin? A bunch of bunch of say Lightning Network or this Taproot implementation that's coming. What typically happens in technology is you have to have a 10x better technology to supplant the winner. So Ethereum isn't going to supplant uh, Bitcoin as a store of value. Um, now the question is, if it doesn't uh, uh, supplant Bitcoin as a store of value, and you have now Lightning Network on top of Bitcoin that can actually act as a transaction medium that has super high speed without uh, with, without the risk of, of uh, security on a second layer, a lot of the things that Ethereum did can get unwound over time through Bitcoin, through the evolution of Bitcoin. So, so from a from a from a narrative, um, from a what do I want to happen? What do I think needs to happen for the world? Bitcoin. What do I think is an investment philosophy that I would be long on? And just be close my eyes, don't worry about day trading or anything else. Bitcoin. On some of these other coins, could you make some money in the short term? Yes. But I do, but I do believe that the, the bunch of the network effects, even on Ethereum, some of the network effects will be unwound over time through the network effects on on Bitcoin. Because on Bitcoin, you have network effects happening on the primary level, store of value. And now, if you look at the the, the Lightning Network, for instance, and you look at, I think you have four percent growth per week on the Lightning Network. Um, it's a staggering growth rate. And so you have two network effects reinforcing um, on, on themselves on, on the Bitcoin network. Mm-hmm. There's um, there's a question on this, maybe a little bit more in the weeds, not so much from Dan in Kansas. Uh, Jeff, can you explain the difference between Bitcoin's proof of work algo versus Ethereum's proof of stake? Yeah, so, so <laughs> quickly, um, proof of work, you have to, uh, uh, you have to, uh, Maybe, you know, I'm going to do a bad job on that right now. So, uh, well, they just want to really know what's better. So proof, 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 proof of work. They say it's energy use, um, and, and, and energy. Essentially, you have to spend up front to, to confirm the network. That is a, a feature of the system. It is all, it is what it, keep, it what keeps it secure. Proof of stake is a different, uh, it, uh, it is a different system. So I see proof of work as a feature of a system keeping it decentralized. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Um, this one's actually from uh, Rob Simone, who, uh, who's the one who put me uh, onto and got me to read your book. He's our, uh, he runs our 
real estate research business. He said, Jeff, one of my favorite parts of your book, and this was one of mine too, I alluded to it as well, uh, that got me thinking the most is the question on folding the piece of paper in on itself. Humans are really bad at thinking about exponential patterns. It's a thought track that can probably benefit all investors across all, all asset classes, but I'm dealing with this now in my own sector as a short as short duration rents have gone like parabolic. And and he's basically asking you, know, you as a as a I think you're, you're you've done real estate investing. Like, are, is there anything on that front that you're observing as a, as more of a phase transition? So on on rents specifically? Yeah, real estate rents, etc. So, so, so think about what gives a system. So it's a, a big part of the existing credit system is based on real estate. Right. So essentially people are putting real, uh, money into real estate and they don't see what the next risk is on this system. The next risk on this system is governments have to tax it differently mm-hmm. because of the revolution that's coming because prices have to keep going up because they have to keep printing more money. So prices will go up. But that'll be taxed differently or worse, you will not be able to move it when revolution comes. That's a, that's a worst case. Think about what, think about what Lebanon looks like right now and think about would you want real estate there? And 20 years ago, you might have. And, and, and so what ends up happening on these transitions? People, people, um, believe again, $185 trillion of global stimulus to, to grow the economy for, by 46 trillion. They believe real estate goes up forever and it's safe from all of this. It's not safe from all of this. And so, and you, you can't move it. So I, and so, so in that type of system, because, because you can lever that and you can make tons of money on that, on that run, people get over leveraged to real estate in these type of transitions and, and then they can't move it. So that, that gives the state its power. Because the uh, it, because people won't move, people won't leave the system, and it's a, another reason for kind of why when I see Bitcoin as a as a risk as the best risk protection against some of this. If you remember twelve words, you can move anywhere. <laughs> All right, here's a, we're running out of time, but then I want to make sure I ask this question. Tim from St. Louis, uh, do you think DeFi will ultimately win over conventional banking? I think I think yes. I think this uh, go, going back to this 10x type of technology, but I think specifically Bitcoin is what's going to happen. Is the the world will look very different on this transition. The word, think about about Bitcoin as an emergent technology where everyone that starts to hold it makes that that technology hold it, work on it, that network effect that happens, the innovation that happens on top of it. That it's an emergent network that gets stronger and stronger and stronger, and it takes the need away. So we same same thing that a whole bunch of people in Bitcoin do. They measure the system that will always look like this growing system and and big government control over your life forever, growing bigger and bigger. It won't look like that on a new system. So yes, um, it is hard to stop technology that that, that gives this type of um, access. You have an open you have an open decentralized monetary network of the world that reduces fees to almost nothing. How do you stop that? Or worse, why would you want to stop that? <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, this is uh, maybe a, a, a fair, uh, a good way for those of you that haven't read 
Jeff's book to um, to end with maybe a comment from you. I mean, and this is a really like a the a, a great way to end your book. Like I said, not everybody ends a book this way. You know, I, I read a book every ten days, so I can see a lot of arrogance and <laughs> a lot of books that would compete with this book. And this is definitely the book that would fit in the humility pile of the books that I've read as of late. <laughs> uh, but but you wrote like I encourage you to contribute to the conversation and debate it so that we can together design a world that allows for the best in humanity to thrive as we move into an exciting future of abundance. And you invited people to, you know, go to, go to the website. I think your book has a website. And, yeah. um, you know, really engage in that. I mean, I, I, I found this to be, you know, very uh, much engaging. And, and to me, at least in my own thick skull, additive to, to what, I, what, I, what I could be thinking about throughout the day. So thank you for that. But any other, any other thoughts on that and, and broadening the debate? Yeah. No, Keith, I actually love that you did this. And I, and, and I appreciate it. Um, when when people of different ideas uh, um, come together and kind of debate those ideas through first principles, you typically get a, a, a bunch of learning. Um, and, and I think this is what we're doing here. And uh, um, it's hard to see. It's, it's really hard for anybody to see when you're living in a system that is undergoing a change. And your your tendency is to measure everything by that system. And so, so, so these types of conversations are important because it pulls us out of that system just to question what it, here's a better way to look at it. Everything we experience from this phone to, uh, to the system of governance that we have to our inflationary monetary system happens first. It was first an idea. And when enough people believe in an idea, then it becomes something and enough people believe in that idea. That is the world we live in. So ideas create our reality. And so if we live, everybody lives in a world where inflation is required for us to live in a productive society and everyone believes in that idea, that'll be the idea we live in and it'll have certain consequences. And if we have a new idea, that I, and that idea starts to gain traction. That's what you're seeing with Bitcoin and everything else. And that idea starts to gain traction. Then that new shared idea becomes our way of life. But it's really hard to see as you're going through the transition of those systems. And so thanks for doing this today. Yeah, thanks for making the time. We appreciate it. He is Jeff Booth. You should read his book. It's called The Price of Tomorrow. And engage in the debate. That's what we want. Thanks for joining us on A Real Conversation. Thanks for listening to Real Conversations brought to you by Hedgeye. Don't forget to check out Hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal tax accounting or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedge is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedge subscribers and the authorized recipients of the contents. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedge Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.